Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about Thomas been running and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today we will be talking all about TV staffing versus TV pilot selling, uh, pros and cons of each. Should you prioritize one over the other or do both? Let's discuss. <laughs> Let's get into the topic at hand. Now, just to reset, the reason why we are dedicating an entire episode on a TV staffing versus a TV selling as such is because a couple of months ago now, uh, there was this Twitter thread that then became this WGA board question from Terry Kopp about a, sort of a discussion on whether or not to staff. And essentially, allegedly, there were people talk on the feed on Twitter about uh, aspiring TV writers who wanted to skip over staff staffing and go straight to selling their own shows. Now, obviously, this whole episode that we're about to discuss is going to look at the pros and cons of uh, staffing versus selling, et cetera, et cetera. But in my mind, that's as a basis, that's almost a false dichotomy. And in fact, I would argue that I've never encountered any aspiring TV writers who genuinely wanted to be a TV writer, not someone who wanted to sell a show or anything like that, but any person who really wants to be a TV writer as a profession decide that they'd rather sell a show rather than staff. And so I really feel like I've never seen on my Twitter feeds anywhere like questions about, can I have a whole career just by selling the show as opposed to staffing and essentially discounting staffing as an opportunity. So it really read as almost like a straw man's argument. I don't know how you felt naked while you were reading that thread and, and looking at other people's comments on it, but that's where my standing point was initially. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to know what the kind of evidence of the existence of these people is. You know, did someone take a survey or was it just sort of anecdotal evidence of one or two people on Twitter saying something weird? But, you know, I think we have to kind of just look at the argument as it stands and address all, both sides of it. But, you know, I will say the only time I've really ever heard anything like that from people is perhaps folks who don't quite understand how the industry works and think that they can get rich quick by selling an idea for a screenplay or, or an idea for a show or whatever who have no interest in actually being a TV writer and doing the work. And they're like, I've got a great idea for a show. How can I get it to a network who will give me money for it? And I think that that's just a fundamental misunderstanding of how Hollywood works. Exactly. Yeah. That, I mean, to that point, that's exactly the closest types of questions we get. And we've answered in the past on uh, paper scraps about what you just said in terms of people wanted to sell an idea or something like that, but they just fundamentally misunderstand how it works. And it sort of ties back to just the idea that you can't really sell an idea or rather it's not about the idea, it's about the execution and TV writing as a career is really about generating ideas upon ideas and the longevity of the career isn't about any one project as opposed to a reoccurring thing of, you know, staffing on shows and then maybe you're going to sell shows on the side, whatever the case may be, but it's sort of a whole package as opposed to just a one and done kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I would also go so far as to say that if you are at a level where you can write a competent enough TV pilot to have interest from producers and networks in making it, then you've probably put enough time and energy into understanding the craft and business of TV writing that you would want to staff on shows or, you know, you understand how that all works. So, you know, I, I really don't think there's a world in which there's this like hotshot pilot writers out there who just kind of like gun for hire, write a show and sell it and move on to the next town and riding off into the sunset on their horse. So yeah, it does really seem like not a real problem, but at the very least we can address the kind of philosophical argument of it. Especially if we look at truly the access of both staffing, but selling a, a show, putting that aside for a second, 
it's so incredibly difficult now more than ever, ironically enough, despite the you know number of openings to staff in the first place. And I just know the struggle was like intimately, obviously not just on this podcast, but other people around me and other people around us wanting to staff. And just the idea that people would reject the concept of staffing who want to be TV writers, that's where I really bump against because I've never encountered that in my entire life. Now, uh, that's not to say that there's no conversation to be had. Obviously, this very episode is about that conversation just in terms of the pros and cons of each. But we can't really start the conversation without at least acknowledging the fact that, at least in my mind, and this is something I'd brought up before in uh, prior episodes, but realistically, I do believe in 2020 currently, it is uh, marginally easier to sell a show as a nascent TV writer than it is to staff. And uh, when I said this, I think last year, it was a hot take. I think that was in the episode, I think it was PT125 or uh, somewhere around there about the the state of access. And we had a whole sort of debate and conversation about that. And one of my sizzling takes at the time was that I did believe that it was easier to sell than to staff. And I still hold by that standard now just because despite the number of opportunities they are at staffing they just are even more people wanting to be staffed and conversely there's just so much content out there people looking for content now obviously with covid etc it's probably going to change soon but nonetheless at least in terms of the opportunities to sell something and generate content i really feel there's more there now obviously i don't mean you know it's not the difference between one percent and fifty percent it's more like the difference between 0.05 percent and point. 2%. But nonetheless, I do believe, in my mind at least, that that's sort of where it falls. Right. And I think it's important to also understand what exactly selling a TV pilot is and the different levels of success that come with that. So the most basic level, or well, I guess if you start right at the bottom, getting someone interested enough in your pilot to option it, whether it's a shopping agreement or a free option in the most common ways, or a paid option where a production company or a producer or even a network or a studio thinks that there's enough good going on in that script to uh, you know, potentially be something, but they want to take some time to either develop it further or take it around to see what kind of interest there is in it before really putting down any money or ordering it. And then at the next level, you have people who are actually outright buying your script and buying your concept and kind of taking the rights off your hands. Uh, and that usually happens at sort of the studio level where they're like, yes, we love this. We want this to go forward. And, and what they're usually doing is often there'll be a development stage there where they're kind of taking on board the property and either putting it under paid option or usually they purchase it only when they're going to produce it. But you know they'll pay you for development deal, they'll pay you to write new drafts of the script and try to get to a place where they are ready to actually go into production and they'll usually pay you on the first day of production or whatever for uh, your script. And then past that level, there's actually your script going to pilot, shooting a pilot episode, seeing if the network and studio likes it. And then if they like that, then they'll order it to series. There are different ways around it. Some stuff can get ordered straight to series, et cetera. But as you can see, there are so many different levels of success in what you would consider selling a TV pilot. So it's important to understand uh, the scope of what that means. And perhaps, you know, to your point, Alex, why it might be a little bit easier to sell a pilot and get some development money from a studio than it is to staff on a show necessarily. Absolutely. Yeah. And just to that idea, again, if you think of it as what's the fastest way for me to make money off of whatever I'm doing, like the examples you just quoted, just the barrier of entry to potentially get something optioned. And again, I'm not saying this is easy to do by any means, but I do believe the barrier of entry to optioning something, especially if you have IP or if you have attachments, et cetera, et cetera, it's easier to get at least some money that way as opposed to 
staffing, right? Just being a staff writer on a show, that's almost a lottery in and of itself. Whereas I really feel like on some level selling a show, you have some leverage or at least some opportunities to control your destiny on that level. Now, obviously, I keep repeating it, but there's uh, saying that it's not easy to sell a show, but you can still get potentially a package and control who gets attached to your package if you have something that's compelling or an IP or something and leverage that into getting meetings, for example. Whereas for staffing, it really, uh, unless you fit a specific kind of slot, it's not just as easy as sending a script and getting a meeting, really. There's so many people ahead of you to get through. And uh, really, it's all about those connections in the first place, which selling can be, obviously. But at least, uh, especially if you have attachments or something, you can't really attach people to yourself as a staff writer, right? <laughs> you can't really say, hey, I've got this amazing actors or this, this amazing IP uh, that comes with me. It's really just you, right? It's just you as a person, as a writer. That sample may be that recommendation from a showrunner or something like that. But really, that's just it. Whereas uh, selling a show or selling a pilot or anything like that, you have much more opportunities there to make a better case for yourself. Yeah. And I think it's more possible to these days and more likely that someone who does come out of nowhere with just a great script uh, has that access to being optioned, being paid for development, being taken to pilot, things like that, just because of like, you know, a, the sheer number of buyers and people that are looking for content out there. And then just, uh, you know, I guess increased access and visibility through these things like script writing competitions through fellowships, through whatever, where someone from the Midwest can write an incredible TV pilot, it wins a competition, it gets producers interested and, and you kind of go from there. Whereas, you know, like you said, Alex, there's so many other hoops you have to jump through to successfully staff on a TV show. Usually you will require some sort of a rep, a manager, an agent, and or you require an intimate kind of personal relationship with someone on that show or working your way up from the support staff and that kind of thing. So like you said, neither of them are easy, but I can see that there are more avenues towards the route of trying to get your show sold than there are to staffing and continuing to staff is another big issue too. It's you can maybe even get your first shot on a show, get a staff writer gig, and then it's years before you get your next one, or you might never get your next gig again. Making a consistent living as a staffing writer is a whole different ballgame. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just to clarify real quick on one thing in terms of when I say, you know, it's easier to sell than to staff, etc. Just to be specific here, I also don't mean it's easier if you're Jane Schmo in Ohio. I'm not saying like you as a person in the middle of nowhere with uh, no scripts, no leverage, no contacts, it's going to be easier for you to sell a show than it is to staff. Although, I mean, there could be a case to be made there, but I'm really talking here on a practical level as up and coming emerging TV writers who, let's say you have a few scripts under your belt. Let's say you have a rep, may maybe an agent and or manager. Maybe you've worked as an assistant somewhere where you have at least some level of knowledge and some level of access. Uh, I'm saying even then, I do believe it really is easier to sell a show than it is to staff. It's kind of my point here because even as an assistant, you're still fitting into that lottery of, am I going to be on a show as an assistant with bosses who value my work with opportunities on that show that it's going to be picked up and then someone is going to be bumped up and that will open up a slot for me to be staffed, right? There's all those questions that are part of that lottery of staffing in the same way that just general staffing, like being submitted by your reps or by friends of yours. Uh, that's again, like landing on the pile at the right place at the right time and being in the ear of the showrunner at the right moment. That's another type of lottery that you're playing there that doesn't necessarily apply with selling. Rather, it applies in very different ways. But that's kind of where I'm at, where really I'm not talking about sort of like those, you know, 101 or 100 level of 
aspiring writers here. I'm even talking the upper echelon of the people, the writers on the verge, as NBC would would say. Yeah. And I mean, also, if you just look at purely the numbers of it, let's say there are 400 TV shows on the air at any given time, uh, as we've seen from numbers previously. And let's say that of those shows, there's only really one staff writer slot available for someone to come into. So that's 400 spots for I don't know, a million aspiring writers or something out there who are trying to make it work. And then, but if you look at those are the 400 shows that have successfully gone to air and are able to actually staff up their room for every one of those shows, there were probably 10 shows or 10 scripts or pilots or, you know, development things that were made by a studio before it got to that point where that show actually went ahead. So then instantly there are 10 times the opportunity to get a script to a place where it's being in development or being in contention to be made. And then even outside of that, where they've successfully gone to the studio, there are thousands and thousands of producers and production companies and places that are looking to get those scripts from unknown writers with great voices and then take them to the studio. So again, it just kind of like multiplies again and again, the opportunities, you know, the chance of actually making it all the way through <laughs> to the point where you successfully sell a show and get it made is incredibly slim. And, you know, if you kind of take that point to the chances of staffing versus the chances of selling a successful show. I think that at that point, staffing is easier, but just to get anywhere along the level of being paid some amount of money to write in a development fashion, I think it is a little more uh, likely than uh, getting a staff position on a show these days. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I really believe in that sort of the, the fastest to money metric. Like I really do believe the selling position is a win there. I will also mention that putting aside money for a second, the sheer number of meetings you are able to leverage potentially out of trying to sell a show. And again, assuming that those meetings lead to something, or at least you, you're able to curate those relationships, you will probably have more, I feel like fruitful meetings uh, on the capacity of selling something or at least pitching something than you would have uh, just staffing because staffing, a lot of those meetings, they're either general meetings, which I mean, you might as well be trying to sell something there or shorter meetings, which are extremely rare in of themselves to get in the first place. So really at the point where you're getting shorter meetings, I really feel like, I mean, you're definitely closer to being staffed than to sell a show by, you know, obviously, but those types of meetings are still going to be useful in the long run. And even those pitching meetings and, and things like that, you can always parlay that maybe into staffing, whereas I don't believe necessarily the opposite is true. Like I've never, I mean, I could be wrong. I feel like that there's probably counter examples out there, but I hard pressed to believe that a showrunner meeting is going to lead you to package uh, something you want to sell with that showrunner, right? Like I don't believe that's ever really going to happen. Conversely, I feel like if you get a meeting at a studio and you're trying to sell something and it doesn't work, I feel like there's a decent chance or at least a chance that you could get staffed on one of their shows because you now have that connection. For sure. And I think the other aspect of all this too is that the reps, the young agents and managers who are out looking for emerging writers, so many of them are saying that they want people who want to be creators. They want people who have strong samples for staffing, yes, but also things that they can potentially try to sell into development in places because that's what they're looking for. And, you know, Terry Kopp addresses this on one of her threads saying that, well, if that's the case, then you have a bad agent or a bad manager because they're not doing a good enough job getting you staff. But I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that, again, it is one of those kind of numbers game things where you may as well be putting it out there to try to get interest from producers. And the worst case scenario is, like you said, Alex, you get meetings, you get more opportunities in the future. So I think it makes total sense to be doing that. Now, all of this is not to say that 
when you're trying to sell stuff, you're not also trying to stuff. Like you're not doing one to the exclusion of the other. Generally, you're trying to put your material out there to, to be born into development and whatever, also to get attention from producers and networks to staff. Like, you know, it's a two-pronged game. Yeah, I could not echo that more. It's not, you know, a, a zero-sum game here. It's both at the same time. And I, I feel like that's part of why, obviously, we can trace back the origin of why pilots are popular samples, probably to representation, wanting to sell and package stuff. So be it. But nonetheless, it still is that two-pronged approach that you mentioned like in terms of okay it's a great sample to use but also it could be leveraged as a package or a show something to do later on it's not it can live in both realities at the same time two things can be true at once right so to that idea again i feel like a lot of the pushback that effort and it's not just that one thread i don't want to you know uh, we're not trying to come at any one thread or any one person here it's more a general observation here that uh, over the past few months if not years really a lot of the old Older, I would say like mid-level to high and I would even go to say EP higher level shoners, especially on Twitter, especially in panels and so forth that talk about staffing selling. I really feel like they're pushing this narrative that, okay, well, there's so many people wanting to sell a show. Like why are you refusing to staff or why are you not really believing the value of staffing? When really, I, again, to me, I go back to the, this is Strawman's argument in the context of no one we know, no one that I've ever seen really who generally wants to be a TV writer, all our listeners, they probably want to be staffed and they uh, people want to be staffed in every capacity of their career. It's just that, you know, it's not one or the other. And I feel like maybe 30 years ago, 20 years ago, there were a lot more gatekeepers to selling a show because there was fewer outlets essentially to sell a show. So it was very much the one percenter that would be able to sell a show or even option a show, whereas staffing was a bit more democratic in that capacity, putting obviously aside issues of general access and diversity and so forth, but you know, just broadly speaking. Whereas now, I really feel like the tables have turned, where staffing really is a rarity uh, overall in terms of the sheer number of people who are in the guild or who are not in the guild, uh, as opposed to if you just look on the you know WGA staffing boost or any any thread on Twitter or any hashtag about that, you can just see the amount of people wanting to be staffed, even at people who've already been staffed, like what was brought up earlier. It's really incredible. Yeah, and you can see this focus on creating to uh, in these number of like incubator programs that have recently opened up with Imagine Impact, Rideback Incubator, there's all of these, you know, Sundance Labs, things like that. They are really trying to put people in a position where they are creating something and having something to go out and sell and to attach people to, you know, these incubator, like the fellowship programs, yes, are aiming to get people staffed on TV shows. But then, you know, now more than ever, there are all these incubators that are looking for emerging new voices, people who don't have to have staff before, people who don't have any professional writing experience to create something. So if nothing else, I think that's shows you that it is more and more of a possibility these days. So we've just broadly looked at why we're talking about TV staffing versus TV selling. And despite what we're saying, we're not actually down on TV staffing. In fact, just the opposite. I don't want to speak for Nick, but at least I believe strongly that TV staffing is not just incredibly valuable, but it's essential to be a good showrunner or a good writer in TV. That's essentially what TV writing is. And to me, what distinguishes TV writing from feature writing is the staffing opportunity, right? The fact that you're in a restroom with people, with creatives, and you're building that story, you're building those shows, those episodes, you're writing communally, you're doing all those things as a group. I really feel like it's the opportunity that feature writers are missing out on. And so really, sure, Nick, you agree that TV staffing is essential anyway. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, most people who want to write for TV want to be on a staff. That's the dream is getting to go in every day and have you know a consistent <laughs> paycheck to be writing and to be learning about the process of TV writing and learning how to run a great show. You know, I think it's the people who make great showrunners are the people who have worked their way up the staff 
track. It's you know not necessarily the people who have come in from some other walk of life and sold a show without ever having been a PA or without ever having been uh, a staff writer and that kind of thing. So uh, you know there are countless things you're going to learn through staffing, and it just it really is the day to day that most writers want, especially the people who are focused on TV. Yes. And to that idea, I mean, if we look at one of the first things that TV staffing brings over any other type of, I guess, writing work is the context of not just deadlines, but really uh, recurring, <laughs> I don't want to say recurring revenue, but at least the stability of a job that's akin to an office job in a way you clock in. I mean, now who knows? There's no conference room anymore. But in theory, you clock into the conference room and you clock out and you have that stability, which I believe helps creatively because if you're coming in and you know that on Monday, we're going to come into the office and we're going to be speaking and talking about this character because if the showrunner really wants to dive deep into this one character, you have that weekend to think about those stories and really bring your A-game in a way that if you're writing on your own projects in a general way, you're kind of floating uh, around. I mean, it's sort of like you're your own boss, which is good, but it also has drawbacks in that capacity as well. Yeah, I think you get the benefit of not only getting to write and being paid to write, but also kind of seeing the rest of the process from there and how the sausage is made. If you're working in live action, you're going to get to write an episode and then see how that goes all the way through production and all those you know, uh, concept meetings and uh, department meetings and how all these working with these different heads of departments to kind of come up with the props and the set deck and the locations. And then, you know, hopefully you're also going to be able to get to go to set and see how they actually shoot this stuff and then how they edit this stuff. And so that kind of stuff is just completely invaluable. And if you've never done that before, then you're going to be at a big disadvantage if you are uh, potentially selling your own show or working on your own show. Yeah, I mean, just taking a step back before we go into production, just the structural aspect, being in a room where people are genuinely breaking stories, breaking episodes, arcs, characters, and so forth across multiple episodes, if not a season, that's the kind of experience you don't really get anywhere else. Even if you are in a writing group or something like that, being able to professionally come in and not just create and write every day, but also sort of do what most people don't think of when they think of being a writer, which is not just the writing part, but the pitching part, being actively engaged in conversations, creative conversations, narrative conversations about a show or character or themes or whatever the case may be in that particular room. But just having that opportunity to see, like you said, the sausage is made, even on the craft level, breaking down acts, uh, especially if you're on a network show, breaking down the engine of a show, if you are on some kind of procedural show, even if you're on a, some kind of a serialized show, maybe the mythology, right? The Bible, all those things, even assuming you've never been a writer's assistant, just seeing how that process is done. I feel there's so much there in the room, even before we get into production, just the on the creative writing narrative level that you get just by being on staff that uh, really it's something that's valuable in of itself. Yeah, definitely. And I think another really important part of that is being able to take feedback and notes and uh, rework your scripts accordingly, whether that's from the showrunner on your draft or whether it's from the studio on the network or you know whatever it happens to be, like just being able to go through multiple drafts of something and address notes is another really huge skill, whether you're in a room or whether you are even developing your own pilot to sell somewhere and you learn that through staffing. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's definitely something that I don't think you can really, I mean, you can prepare yourself to the extent of, like I said, you have a writer's group or something where you exchange your scripts and you get feedback. But again, at the end of the day, because it's your script, you have control and ownership over that material. Whereas in a writer's room, the showrunner has that final say. So being able, like you just said, Nick, of being malleable, of being flexible enough to take notes and take things into account. And not just that, but being able to flip on a dime. I think that's another huge 
huge asset or something you'll learn at least being in the room is you have to constantly be generating stories. And if people say no, or especially if the showrunner says no, you got to flip around and be able to pitch something else right then and there, whether it's for the script or in the room. So that's definitely the kind of skill that is really hard to quantify outside of the room. Exactly. I think when you're outside of the room and you're just working on your own pilots, you can take a year to get a good pilot ready and you can have all the time in the world to address notes and all that sort of thing. But you really get used to the schedule and the pace of TV as well in terms of how quickly you need to be turning out drafts and breaking and rebreaking stories. All of that kind of thing is just really invaluable. Another aspect of TV staffing that is just super important is the social aspect of it. You know, you are sitting in a room full of writers of multiple levels of varying experiences, people who have been on countless other shows who bring with that uh, experience and knowledge and expertise of people that you can learn from, but also people that you can make genuine friendships and connections with. And that's going to come in super helpful down the road when you either want to staff on further shows or, you know, if you are pitching and selling your stuff later and you happen to know a higher level writer who would be the perfect attachment to show run it for you or you know, even someone who can just kind of give you recommendations to an exec somewhere, whatever it happens to be, those kind of relationships you build through staffing are also incredible. Exactly. Yeah, that's really, I mean, invaluable in, in many ways. I feel it's kind of the representation of the adage of you got to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. <laughs> similar here with the writer's room where, I mean, depending on your level, but more than likely you'll be surrounded with people who not only have more experience than you, but who are more well-versed in the craft, who are more well-versed in terms of the production aspect, who are more well versed in many, many, many areas. And that's how you learn and grow as a writer, but also hopefully as a showrunner too, in X amount of years, you'll be able to gauge how the room is run, right? The room where it happens, to borrow Hamilton, the quote, it's just the fact that you are in this environment with a showrunner who hopefully, again, this is with the presumption that this is a healthy working environment without toxicity. But, you know, assuming that you are working with a showrunner, number two and number three, who know how to create that working environment, who set deadlines, who create a positive atmosphere and allow the breaking process to happen in a way that also adds some social dynamic to it. Now, conversely, if you're not in those kinds of rooms, then perhaps it's almost the silver lining that you now learn what not to do, you know, especially when you're at that level. But at that point, I feel like it still is valuable in its own messed up way. Yeah. I'd, I'd be genuinely curious to know if there is anyone who actually holds this belief that they don't want to do, have anything to do with staffing and they only want to sell, you know, what their rationale for that is. Like, what is it about the staffing process or being in a room or making money day in, day out as a writer that they object to? You know, I, I really don't think that there's anyone who is having their door knocked on by people saying, please come and write for money for me. And they're saying, no, I don't want that. You know, yeah. the only thing that I can really think of is perhaps it's not so much would you take a successful staffing job as do you want to be dedicating your time and your resources and everything to the process of trying to get staffed to the exclusion of other things going on in your life you know like a lot of people might not have the financial resources to not be working a full-time job so that they can focus on writing their stuff and putting themselves up for staffing or whatever it happens to be so i can see some like issues of access and issues of prioritizing certain things over other things but i don't think anyone's straight out refusing a job in a room no, I, I don't see that either. I would say, I mean, this is maybe the, the devil's advocate or the strawman's advocate here, but another reason I can maybe see is essentially ownership of ideas. As someone who maybe is not comfortable spending all that time on someone else's project or generating ideas that they believe, in my mind, wrongfully or incorrectly, that uh, are not going to be credit to them. So I really feel like that idea, which again, is a toxic idea, obviously, but I do feel like some people, I could maybe see that be the case, especially 
especially with the allure of selling a show or having ownership over this is my thing and I'm going to be making money with my thing, my ball. When in reality, I mean, that's obviously a fallacy uh, just in terms of how things work, especially in the room. Really, I mean, uh, again, it goes against sort of the very concept of what it, being a TV writer means. Obviously, at that point, might as well just be a feature writer. And maybe at that point, you'll, you'll understand that you'll always get rewritten regardless of your, uh, your content. Yeah, exactly. And I certainly do know some established writers who, as they have more experience and they've worked on more shows, they become more and more selective about what they want to staff on and they have the freedom to say no to certain jobs because they don't want to be doing that or they don't quite believe in that show. They don't have to jump at every single thing and they would rather spend uh, to take a year off to develop. And at that point, I think that's totally reasonable because you're in a position where you can afford to do that and where that's a, a conscious decision. So at that level, I think I understand it. But to speak to your point, even someone who's like, oh, I want creative control, so I want to sell my own show, you're not going to get creative control of your own show. The studio is going to have input. Whoever they assign to you as a showrunner is going to have input. There's rarely ever a world in entertainment where you could have complete creative control over everything that happens on your show. A hundred percent. Yeah. The only counterexamples to that that I can think of are people who essentially are heavyweights or heavyweight adjacent in other areas that are not in TV. And they could parlay and leverage that autonomy into TV writing. But that's a really rare case. And it's essentially the auteur theory of TV writing, really, which I mean, is its own conversation. But just to go back to the staffing and, and what you just said about higher levels, I mean, another thing that people need to keep in mind is especially once you reach that higher level, let's say co-EP, EP level, a lot of the time you're going to be floating, I mean, arguably in perpetuity, around that level. Uh, sometimes you'll be able to run your show, you'll be selling a show, and you'll be the showrunner of that show. But more often than not, to get a career continuing, you will be the number two on someone else's show. Or maybe the number three, you'll be sort of floating around those uh, top two or top three positions uh, in perpetuity. And that's not a knock on you know your ability to sell a show. That's just the reality of it, where everybody at that position is able to sell shows more than likely, and more than likely, they're believed to be able to execute on that vision. Otherwise, they would not be you know at that position in the first place. But nonetheless, it is, even though the barrier of entry to selling a show is lower in my mind than staffing, it's still, at the end of the day, like you said earlier, it still is harder to really have a show come on the air finished than it is to be staffed on any show. And so really, I feel there's another uh, incorrect belief is, oh, I got to sort of uh, run up the ladder. And then as soon as I make, uh, you know, level 10 on that ladder, I'll just be able to sell, sell, sell and relax. And maybe if you were like the Shonda Rhimes slash Ryan Murphy, JJ type, that's more much more of a producer type at that level than a writer, maybe, but more people than not who are at the EP level are, even though they're producers, they're still writers to begin with. And if you think of any other writer you can think of, a lot of those people are still taking jobs as the number two, the number three, because they want to work. Yeah, you'll see a ton of mid-level and upper-level writers who will staff on one show a year and they'll spend the rest of the year developing and selling pilots. And they, you know, there's so many people who have sold five, six, seven pilots to networks and none of them have actually gone or you know, they went to pilot and then the pilot didn't get picked up or uh, whatever it happened to be. So it's, it's not easy to make a living doing that. It doesn't necessarily pay that well. You're just getting sort of a script fee and some development. And once you reach the point where you're having an overall deal or a development deal uh, in place somewhere is where you're really kind of making a proper living off of developing. Yeah. Uh, now, moving on to another angle and, and that was touched on a bit before that's so valuable in TV staffing, especially if you are in the proper room with people who allocate responsibilities in a responsible way, you get to learn a lot about 
production, right? Like, I mean, Nick, you mentioned uh, the animation side, but even on the drama or half hour, one hour side, if you are on, let's say, Vince Gilligan room, uh, Vince Gilligan wants you to be on set producing your episode. Even though you may be a junior writer, you have the opportunity and the possibility to go on set and essentially be a mini producer on your own episode. And there are many, many, many showrunners like Vince Gilligan out there who will give you that opportunity to take ownership on that small level of your episode. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be directing your episode tomorrow or anything like that, but at least you get to learn the process and be on set and really understand the intricacies of production in a way that if you are working on your own project, you really are so focused on the development process that you'll really never get to see probably the production process until truly you are at the end of the tunnel. And if you do want to be a showrunner and run your own show one day, you need to understand the production process because that is most of your job. You know, there's a lot of the creative side leading the room and everything, but a you know, I, I don't know, 75% of the time, you're probably going to be out of the room dealing with production stuff and letting your co-EPs and whatever be running the room. And you're just going to be coming in when you can actually afford to. So you are as much a physical onset producer when you're a showrunner as you are uh, creative in the writer's room. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, being a showrunner is essentially like being the CEO of a company. Half of it, I mean, yeah, I feel like you're generous by saying it's 70% production. I mean, really, whatever the percentage is, you will be strongly directed towards doing a lot of uh, production stuff that is not necessarily sexy. If you think about, oh, I want to be a showrunner, I want to be a producer, I want to be a high uh, budget a TV writer. A lot of that is just decision making on the production level that as a staff writer, you usually, or even as a nascent TV writer, you don't have the knowledge or even awareness of it. It's not even, oh, what are ways for me to learn more of this? It's more like you don't even know the questions that you would need to ask really to solve these problems. And the only way to really know those questions is by working on a show, essentially. And so really that's the kind of experience that's invaluable in many other ways, but particularly when you're on staff. And last but not least, like the one other thing to mention about the positive of TV staffing is the credibility that it adds to you as a writer, especially if you are on a show with a level of cachet, or at least surrounded with people who have that cachet. Just being on staff is on some level a stamp of approval. Being on staff means you've been vetted by the showrunner, by the studio, by the network, by your reps, by so many people to get to that point that it's sort of the reverse of what we've been saying about how difficult it is to staff. Well, at the point where you are staffed, it means so much to other people that have been staffed that it will, I mean, I don't want to say automatically, but it definitely gives you an opportunity to leverage that to further your career and uh, gives you an element of ownership over your career that until you get staffed, I don't believe you necessarily have. And it also makes it easier for you to actually get in the room and pitch and sell shows successfully the more experience you have as a TV writer. Yes, it's possible to do it without any credits and to come out of nowhere if your idea and your script is good enough and you have the right package. But most agents and managers often like to wait until you have a couple of rooms under your belt before they start sending you out around the place uh, to be considered a valid creator because the more experience you have, the more likely people are to trust that you can pull it off. Exactly. And it's a win-win either way. Either you land on a show that's extremely successful and you just have that one credit, but you spent maybe five years climbing up the ladder to get to a producer level or maybe a, a co-EP level uh, after five years, crazier things have happened, then you can do whatever you want. And plus, you've obviously gotten all the residual money and the crazy backend. Or you are on a show that gets canceled or something like that, but you're able to jump ship time after time after time 
which may not give you uh, sort of the depth of experience on one show, but you have the breadth of experience of being on multiple shows with hopefully many other people that you worked with. And in which case, having multiple credits, even though they may be a season long, really gives you that leverage, especially like Nick just said, in terms of getting those meetings, et cetera, having that laundry list, quote unquote, of credits. I mean, it could be good or bad, obviously, especially if you're just fired from those shows. But uh, if the presumption is that you know you ended on good terms and the show just got canceled for whatever reason, it really gives gives you at least a more experience on that level. So now that we've looked at uh, what you learned through staffing on shows, let's take a little bit more of a look at what we learned from uh, pitching and hopefully selling shows into development and production. One of the really big things with writing a um, sellable pilot that people are interested in is that it's often quite a lot harder than just writing a random episode of a TV show that you're staffing on or a spec script of an existing TV show. And the reason for this is not only are you, uh, as we've said so many times on this podcast before, trying to create a compelling hour or half hour of television in and of itself that's sort of you know self-contained and enjoyable, but you're also then setting up so much more. You're setting up characters, you're setting up a world, you're setting up a serialization, themes, there's just so much that goes into it that you have to consider. So I think it really does require almost a higher level of understanding of the craft of writing and uh, a higher ability to execute on it. So if you're someone who is able to write a successful, thrilling, entertaining pilot to the point where people are interested in buying it and developing it, then it's probably really helped you develop your skills as a writer to a level where you are able to staff or you are able to successfully have a career. The fact that people were interested in potentially buying or optioning your show based on whether it's a pitch pack or more than likely some kind of spec script or spec pilot to to that point really shows your ability to create that first hour of TV while also executing something that not many people would possibly be able to, or at least uh, if you compare yourself to the myriad of people who want to be TV artists in a general basis. And so whilst TV staffing lets you learn the nuts and bolts of writing an episode of TV, until you get to sell a show, or at least you go down the gauntlet of selling a show or trying to sell a show, there are so many things you learn, but also become aware of about yourself, especially your pluses and minuses and limits and positive in terms of, you know, if you are running a show that really excels at dialogue or character, then maybe, you know, they want you to pitch something that is in that vein, but then you realize, hold on, I don't really know how to pitch something in that vein. I just knew how to write this specific kind of angle of a show. My whole point here is that through the process of selling a show and getting people's eyes on a project and getting traction, you will not just be vetted in that capacity, but I feel like this is maybe more of an internal struggle, but I really feel like you also learn a lot about your pros and cons as a writer, which on staff, you learn that, but it's sort of like through the prism of the showrunner and what's expected of you as opposed to you from the outside perspective selling the show because you are essentially the owner of that. Yeah. And not just that, but I think it really helps you focus in on your voice and what makes you uh, unique as a writer, because this is entirely coming from you. This is your idea, your world, you're drawing on uh, your experience from your life and the things that you, you know about and you're excited and passionate about. And you really get to set the tone for this pilot. You get to kind of put your own unique flair and writing style in there. You know, if you look at how JJ Abrams wrote the lost pilot, you know, that's just so inextricably his voice. Like you get your opportunity to do that with your own pilot. 
and really sell yourself to people through that writing. And you don't really have that same opportunity in a room because you are having to conform to the voice of the showrunner that has already been set. And you don't have that opportunity with writing a spec script for something for the same reasons you are writing someone else's show. So writing your own pilots with the intention to develop, sell, et cetera, I think really helps you understand yourself better as a writer and what is going to help set you apart, which again, can certainly help you with staffing because then you know what your voice is. Like you said before, Alex, you know what your strengths are and that can really help you in big ways. And even just looking at the process of selling itself, the fact that you will have to craft a pitch, a compelling pitch tied to your show really will intrinsically bring to the forefront those issues of connecting essentially, like you said, your story, your personal story to your story as in the narrative that you're pitching, just connecting those dots. And I mean, hopefully by that point, you have some idea of who you are, right? If you're repped, if you're getting those meetings, especially general meetings and so forth, you're going to be pitching yourself anyway, as we've talked ad nauseum on this podcast before, but even just looking, honing down on the pitching process of uh, selling the show to be effective, you have to be an engaged storyteller. And to be an engaged storyteller, it needs to both come from the emotional part of who you are as a writer, which I mean, in of itself will get you to learn more about yourself as a person. But conversely, also, you will be an engaged storyteller because you're able to make people lean into your story. And that's the kind of pitch or the kind of skill rather that is so thoroughly needed in TV staffing. It's so thoroughly needed in arguably all other parts of life. But just the fact that, especially if you're on staff and you're more green or newer, you don't have that reflex of pitching unless you're just naturally born a storyteller. But putting that aside, most people are not. Most people are introverts like writers, right? So they are not used to pitching something or expressing an idea in a compelling way and maybe thinking on their feet or maybe just connecting that to who they are as people and really sort of listening to their own experiences and using that as an emotional hook for uh, pitching a show that they're pitching. And so really the goal in TV staffing when you're staffing on a show is to do that. But most people don't have that scale. So I feel like when you're going through the gauntlet of selling a show or pitching a show and people basically ask why should they care about it, the reason why they should care is essentially a version of because I'm telling the story. And so the reason why you're telling the story is sort of explaining why you're the one person to tell it, i.e. why essentially you are an amazing writer and an engaged storyteller. Yeah, definitely. I think understanding like the meta elements of your show and your pilot and also just the bigger picture is, is so helpful to your development as a writer. I can think of the number of times, especially early on when I was first starting out, where I would write a first draft of a script and then I would go to write the logline of it and realize that uh, once I'd come up with a good logline, it actually kind of changed what the script was because I focused in and was able to like distill down the heart of it and be like, oh, this is what the show is actually about. Now I need to go into the script and tweak something or you know trying to write a little description or paragraph of the theme of what the show is about thinking about it in the abstract like that and coming in from the outside being able to elucidate exactly what your show is can often give you a lot of insights that allow you to go back to the script and make that better make that clearer and focus in on the strengths of the show absolutely and it's that kind of uh, sort of meta or third person perspective on your own project that will make you essentially a better tv artist in the long run because the skills that you bring to your own project hopefully you're able to bring to the show or, or rather the other person's project when you're uh, staffed on uh, another person's project, right? The fact that you are having this sort of meta analysis about, you know, the story, the show, how it connects to you emotionally, all those different angles. It's sort of, you know, seeing the lines in the matrix, right? You're able to see the lines in the matrix of someone else's show, hopefully, and you're going to be able to translate that possibility into explaining, well, I mean, you shouldn't explain <laughs> what's wrong with the show at the shorter, but at least in the room, you can definitely lean into what 
feels like uh, pieces are missing and you can be the missing link in that chain uh, because you have that experience of connecting. I mean, again, that's kind of why you're in the room where it happens is because you're bringing that special set of skills that nobody else has. And so the same holds true with uh, selling a show where if you're selling a show, usually that means that that show, uh, I mean, either it's some amazing IP that everybody wants, but either way, it's definitely something that is engaging with the executives at this particular company. And usually the reason why they're engaged is because of you. It's because of the storyteller. It's because of the angle of attack. And so really being aware of those things and honing on those things will just make you a better TV writer overall. And I think it's more and more common too to be putting together some sort of pitch document or pitch Bible to go with these original pilots when you are planning on going out and selling them. And oftentimes what you're doing in that is really thinking about the overall story arcs and character arcs and how the season plays out and how further seasons play out and things like that. So you're having to put this all down on the page to really fully understand the ins and outs of the show and how it works as a series and not just an individual episode. And again, that kind of information is what's going to make you really useful in a TV room because you are able to look at the bigger picture and the tent poles and the whole season structure. And you've essentially practiced that by doing it on your own show that you've created so that you can then bring that skill to other people's shows as well. And to that point, I mean, the opportunity that TV selling or pilot uh, selling has over TV staffing is sort of the converse opportunity that TV staffing gives you where on TV staffing, when you're on staff, you're able to hopefully uh, be more involved with production. But you're not really involved with development. You're not really, or I mean, it depends on the show, obviously, but you're not usually involved with the development process, the pitching process, any such thing. Those things are more the showrunner's medium. So when you're selling a, or pitching rather a TV show, you are by definition intimately involved in that entire process. You are the decision maker in that capacity. And so really when everybody looks at you to make those decisions, you know, you got to be on the on the ball. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be a great showrunner if the show sells. Obviously, as we said before, you probably won't be the showrunner, but at least it gives you an insight into the decision-making and uh, the development process that goes into making a show what it is before production even begins. Another th- really important thing that kind of ties into what we said earlier about, you know, as a staff TV writer, you're developing relationships in the room with other writers. When you are trying to sell shows and pitch shows, you are developing different kinds of relationships. And usually those relationships are with production companies, with studios, with networks and executives and producers. And those relationships are you know, equally as important as the relationships you have with writers when it comes to your career. Uh, especially if you're wanting to live in this development space, these are the people who are going to be making those decisions. These are the people that you're going to need to be keeping in contact with to sell shows and then they can also help recommend you to showrunners to staff on if you've just developed a really great pilot with fox and the executives there all love you then there's a good chance that they're going to want to put you on one of their shows and keep you close so they will recommend you for for jobs that way too but you know so you are building all of these different relationships in different areas of the industry that are equally as important Exactly. Yeah. In the same way that when you're on staff on a show, you'll be building relationships with writers around you. When you're selling or pitching, you'll be building those relationships with executives. And so I feel like they bring perhaps even more to the table in a way that writers where the writers on staff around you usually are not going to be, unless they're higher level or they get their own show, et cetera, more than likely, they're not going to be a one-to-one link to a job. Obviously, those relationships are important, but it's more a holistic approach about you know staying engaged in the community and building those relationships for the long haul. Whereas with executives, obviously, that's also a goal, but um, I, I do believe on some level, it's a shorter tail kind of gain with executives and those meetings because 
even if, you know, assuming you get uh, pitch meetings and so forth, uh, at least they recognize you as a creative person and they want to hear your ideas. And so usually on some level, you'll be on their mind when they're looking for another person to pitch a project or maybe even when they're staffing their next show. And so those kinds of relationships are, I feel like, much more actionable on a career basis when uh, you're on staff, where those uh, writers are more of a long-term sort of prospect in my mind. Another thing I think that uh, developing and selling and pitching can really help with is kind of raising your profile as a writer to the industry, getting a lot of attention and heat. You know, if you sell a pilot to a network or if, you know, a a big producer options your thing, like relatively often there will be some kind of article in the trades about it, especially if there are big attachments of people interested in like an actor or a producer or, uh, you know, just in general pilots that get sold kind of spreads around the industry pretty quickly. And people send those scripts around and read them and really get on the radar of a lot of different people. And that can mean a lot of really good things for your career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that you get that cachet and that knowledge base around, I mean, the fact that people know that you're selling the show, you have, uh, you know, that heat around you could definitely lead to staffing. Even if the pilot fails in any capacity, you've built those relationships, like we had mentioned before, that gives you that aura around you. Now, obviously, I'm not saying it's easy to sell a show, etc. But uh, overall, the fact that you're making this far into the gauntlet, like Nick said, the it really leads people to believe that you have those abilities to tell stories. And so usually that will get you more favored uh, in other places. And I think it's in a way it's seen as a little more prestigious too. There's no deadline articles being like, so-and-so just got staffed as a staff writer on the Goldbergs or whatever, you know, like it's great and it's fantastic and everyone's happy for you, but it's not, you know, of interest to the entire industry and you're not going to get that same level of heat from it. Whereas, you know, selling a pilot or having some kind of, you know, big IP that you're attached to as a writer really does get a lot of uh, heads turning. And like we said before, you know, it even can get your script out to pretty wide to the industry for other folks to be interested in you as well. You can definitely print that deadline article and then uh, send it to your parents saying, hey, see, I did something. (laughs) Is that really credible? (laughs) Maybe. We'll see. So as much as we have been sort of saying that in a way it's slightly easier, quote unquote, to to sell a show, it's also still very, very rare. You know, we hear about these kind of miraculous stories of someone coming out of nowhere and selling a show like the Mickey Fishers of the world and everything uh, who've been noticed through a competition or a producer picked up their thing. And then suddenly they are the creator on their show and they're the co-EP on the show and that sort of thing. I don't think anyone should ever look to this as a, a realistic way of breaking into the industry or trying to put all of your eggs in that one basket because it's just such a, a low percentage chance of happening. You know, staffing is very hard to happen too, but, you know, I just want to kind of set expectations that uh, I don't think anyone should ever sit at home with the intention of, I'm going to crank out 20 pilots, and if none of them sell, then that that was my whole career, that was my one shot. You know, I think you always need to be working many different angles to uh, to break in and make those connections and to be improving as a writer. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that's not the takeaway from this episode. Even on my end, when I was talking early on this episode about obviously how I feel it's easier to sell a show than to staff, I did use these incredibly low percentage of, you know, 0.05% as opposed to 0.2%, just to give an idea of how unlikely both of those things are in my mind. It's not, you know, one is uh, easy as opposed to easier. And really to that point, just the fact that you should be still able to crank out the specs, 
but with that double pronged approach of using that as a sample or leveraging that for something else. You can do both. I think that's sort of the big takeaway of this episode is it's not TV staffing versus TV selling, despite the title of this episode. It's more TV staffing and TV selling as a holistic perspective, as both, especially if you're an up and comer and you have some contacts and you have some scripts and you have a little bit of uh, of momentum going for you, obviously try to get staffed. But if that doesn't work, I really feel like it's not sort of the closed door that uh, 30 years ago it was. And conversely, I also don't think TV staffing is the open door that uh, it seemed to be a, a long time ago. So really, it's both of those things holistically in conjunction of uh, one another. And Ultimately, you know, you learn, as we've uh, discussed in this very episode, you learn good things in both areas. I feel like they both bring their own unique uh, facets and interests uh, that improve you as a writer. Yeah, I agree 100%. So before we go, don't forget that we aren't on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get access to our Paper Patron podcast, our cheat sheets, uh, the dedicated Paper Tea slot that's just for our Patreon supporters. So get on it at paperteam.co slash Patreon, and we'll keep producing a great show for you every week with your support. So thanks to the listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes for this episode, including the aforementioned threads at paperteam.co slash 182. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, questions for future episodes, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Next week will be our paper scraps for the month of July. Uh, so we will be answering your TV questions, looking at TV news around the industry, and all that other good stuff that you know and love. So we'll see you then. Absolutely. See you next week.